Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry, Rebag is the answer. Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com to get 5% off your first purchase with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for 5% off your first purchase. Hello everybody, it's Homo Sapiens, and it's a brand new day and it's a brand new episode. How are we all? Big news from where I am is there is a sofa, I think it's a sofa.com lorry that I can see out my window and it's having the lorry problem, is what we would call it in this village, where I live in a little village, it's at the bottom of a hill and there's a sharp right hand turn in the middle of it and I live one side of it. and. People order things online and then these huge lorries arrive to drop them off and they get all the way to this right-hand turn and then they can't get round. And that's problematic because then they will have to reverse all the way back through the village. And we're talking like a mile. So there's a poor gentleman negotiating this for the first time. See, I'm a good, I'm a good shopper. I always let them know because you can come in from the other side, you see, but you know, Half the time when you order something, you don't know the size of the thing it's going to come in, the lorry it's going to come in. So it's all go, is the headline. It's go, go, go. Now, speaking of go, 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 it's Henry, 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 Holland, Holland, Holland. Henry Holland is our guest today. He is a fashion delight turned potter. Henry Holland blazed onto the scene just 22 years old because he was making like fan t-shirts for fashion different fashion designers. And the first ones he made were Get Your Freak On Giles Deacon and You Who Gareth Pugh. And they became this massive thing in the fashion industry and it launched his whole brand, launched his whole career. And he then went on to set up House of Holland, which was his fashion brand, dressed all the biggest names in the world. You know, he made t-shirts for, made a t-shirt for Kendall Jenner. But as is the way with fashion, things kind of tanked and it's more complicated than that and we talk about it in the episode in the interview it was a really hard thing he had to let his brand go and he has reinvented himself as a potter and we talk about henry's the next thing he's doing which is henry's making ceramics which actually lots of people ended up doing in lockdown including myself and he's turned it into this like mega business it's really cool i gave my sister a candle for christmas because we love henry's stuff he's super talented and he can turn his hand to anything and he didn't let that beat him. And I also think there's something really interesting about changing job partway through your life. We talk about that, about how, you know, people say it's too late to do anything after you're 30. And I just really disagree. And Henry is a perfect example of that. It's a really nice interview. So that's all coming up. What else have I got to tell you? Have you caught up with our last episodes? 
We had Harris Reed, fashion trailblazer, dresses Beyonce, dresses Adele, Sam Smith, literally everybody. Talking about gender fluidity, that's on the feed. Now, let's have a look at the messages. That's me hitting a keyboard, but actually it's just me hitting my desk. Craig said on Instagram, great interview with Harris Reed. What a legend. Also had another interview from someone saying, Harris put into words things that they can't express themselves. And that is really nice to hear that about about themselves. You know, like the concept of gender fluidity and all that has really resonated with people, which I love. And David has sent us a voice note. So let's have a listen to this. Hey Chris. So I have a complaint to make. You are hijacking my TV and film viewing. Um, oh, and my books. I'm reading Chevy Payne, thanks to you. Um, I've seen all of us are strangers and it was mind blowing. And after the Jack Rook episode, yes, I've never seen big boys. I just cried in the third episode uh, where Dan won the four tickets to Reading. Oh my God. It's, um, yeah, we all need a straight friend like that. Anyway, thanks very much. And uh, I withdraw my complaint. Take care. David, we take complaints here at Homo Sapiens Towers very seriously. I am head of HR, so I will be forwarding your complaint to um, my colleagues in HR, being me and me, uh, and we will seek to, what's the word? Remedy. We will seek to remedy this issue for you, David. Uh, I can also advise more big boys watching because it just gets better and better. And we do all need a straight friend like that. And actually, I've been very lucky having good straight friends. I remember where I went to I ended up in a strip club, okay? It was the noughties. And I was outside actually, and my friend and this guy, somehow, somehow, this guy decided I was gay, worked out I was gay, and started having a go at me, and my straight friend stuck up for me. And I loved that. Because, I mean, it's really odd, isn't it? Why would somebody get angry that I was there because I'm gay? Like, what's that all about? What was I doing in the strip club for a start? But you know, I was drunk and I'm sorry. Um, and maybe we should also point this in the direction of HR. Who knows? That's the messages done. If you haven't listened to our episode about all of us strangers with Andrew Scott and Andrew Haig, what are you doing? Go listen. It's February, it's LGBT History Month, so we're going to be having a little spin back through the archives. We're going to do a big LGBT History Month special that's coming up in a couple of weeks. And klaxon, klaxon, again a klaxon, Thursday the 29th of February, Join me and the like-minded friends podcast gang, Susie Ruffle and Tom Allen for a one night only queer podcast show. Tickets are in the link in the episode description or on our Instagram bio. I need to tell you something. This show is gonna be absolutely hilarious. We've been going through um, the show, me, Tom and Susie. Your sides will hurt. We also have a special guest at the end, DJing, it's a party, we're gonna stay and party and rave, dance, and um, we all get to meet and hang out and we are all gonna be like-minded friends. We're calling it like-minded homos, actually. Um, so please come, I wanna meet you all. So buy your tickets if you haven't already. And if you are coming, can you write in and let me know so I know to say hi. Now, let's go and have a chat with Henry. Here it is. Henry, what is the longest time you've ever been without washing your hair? Um, I reckon two days. Really? Well, because I have a very specific four-step hair routine. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Which I often do more than once a day if I need to. R okay, walk me through it. Well, I wash it first. Good. And what's the shampoo? Bumble and Bumble Surf Shampoo. Surf because is there a salty vibe? 
Yeah, salty, because it's very malleable, my hair. People touch it and are very surprised. And then I, I towel dry it, then I surf spray it, and then I blow dry it, and then I straighten it, and then I dax wax it. Have you got any time to do any work? Oh, that's a really good question, actually. But I have been doing that same routine since I was about 17. And because your hair is a very iconic part of your look, no? May we? So we. May we, may um, we. May we? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know. It's just, I feel like my power is in my quiff. I don't know. I feel mm-hmm. not myself. I don't feel comfortable being out or looked at in any way if my hair's down. My mum always told me the bigger the hair, the smaller the nose. And that is kind of how we live our lives, the both of us, because we both have a similar profile, shall I say. Oh, uh, so your mum sounds amazing. Um, Mm. she's very creative, right? Yes, my mum was incredible uh, and very creative, was very much the source of a lot of my creativity and also just my belief systems and my approach to life. I was taught to manifest as an eight-year-old. I love that. I used to sing Louise Hay affirmation tapes with her in the kitchen when I was, you know, for as long as I can remember. That's interesting. And growing up around that, I can sort of relate to a version of that, which is my dad. My dad was very sort of alternative medicine, mm-hmm. was big into feng shui, loved loved a kind of manifestation. Yeah, he was always searching for something, you know what I mean? And like, yeah. and we had like a money frog in our sitting room that he like glued pound coins round because like this feng shui woman came round and said like, that's what we needed to do. And then... She came around and gave us a consultation and he was like, to my mum, he was like, Anne, the sofa's in the wrong place. That's why we're <laughs> broke. And then like six months later, nothing had happened. He was very like, the universe happens to us. And I think it, yes. it certainly, actually weirdly, because I, I didn't see it working out, it made me quite contrary to that actually. But with you and man- manifesting age eight, like, do you still employ mm. that now? Is it something you yeah. really... I drive my husband insane because our outlooks are very atypical to each other. They're very, um, but yeah, sometimes I struggle to like tap into it. You know, some, not everyone can be, you know, positive all the time and believe everything's going to work out for the best. But Mm. if I look back at my journey and how I've managed to manifest the things that have happened to me, then that often reassures me that it, it works. So with all your successes, of which there have been so many, have they all been manifested? Because, and I mean this in the nicest possible way, it's almost felt like they have been happy ac- accidents, that, mm. but but not accidents in any way other than you've just been authentic and then it's grown. But I'm, I'm interested that actually there was also a real drive behind it as well. Yeah, definitely. I've, I've often described my things, some things that have happened to me kind of in a, in a, career sense as happy accidents but as soon as one happy accident appears I've had the kind of self-belief to kind of back myself and go through and follow up with each and every opportunity that presents itself and really work my ass off to make it a real thing yeah um, and build on it so it's not just like I sit here waiting for the world to happen to me but I I think I have a belief that I can make something happen if I want to, which I think a lot, a lot of people prevent themselves from doing a lot of things because they're like, oh God, I could never, I could never start a fashion company without any training. Whereas I was like, why not? 
I don't know. That's great. Comes with its challenges, for sure. Like, you're never happy. You never think you've achieved what you think you should. You're also quite focused, aren't you? Like, you pick a thing and then you do it. It's not like you set up a fashion brand and then you wanted to do chewing gum mm. and then you're like, actually, I want to sell cat litter. You know what I mean? I did sell chewing gum. I was a fashion brand, but did never you? cat litter. Never cat Yeah, I did an extra packet. I did a party and some packaging for extra chewing gum once. I love it. Um, yeah, I've described myself before as an opportunity addict. You know, yeah. if somebody presents an opportunity to me, I find it really difficult to say no because I just find everything really exciting. Yeah. And, you know, if somebody wants to me to do something with them, who am I to turn them down? And I think there's a there's a gratefulness that people want to work with me on something. Mm. And I think, you know, I think there's an ability, I think it's a skill, but there's a, there's a way of making most opportunities work for your benefit. I, um, and you learn so much from all of them as well. What is, um, well, it's, it's the rubbing up against each other of art and commerce, isn't it? It's like, you know, <laughs> how do you make it work when you want to create fun, fabulous, mm. beautiful, exciting things? In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry, Rebag is the answer. Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com and get up to 15% off your first purchase as a member with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for up to 15% off your first purchase as a member. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love. And be confident that every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. So what is the weirdest collaboration you were ever offered? I often quote the condom one because I'm lost out to JLS and I was fuming. I remember JLS's <laughs> condoms. I remember having a conversation with Jurex about doing slogan condoms and which so I thought would have been cool. great. Um, and in the end, they went for JLS and there was a different colour for each LS. Boring each, JLS. Each I mean, that's also a bit weird. It's like... I'm going to pretend I'm this one from JLS while we're having sex. Or was it supposed to be like, oh, you get to have sex with that one if you... But who's yeah. who's buying condoms, men or women, if we're being reductive well, about gender? Apparently, men should be, but I do think a lot of women nowadays... Really? ...carry them too. I think, I mean, I don't know, I don't have sex with any women. <laughs> well, this is it. I'm like, if, if, you're a man who's, if you're a man who sleeps with men, it's like... <laughs> uh, then no one ever has any had has any condoms, and you're like, ah. Um, mm. So, what were your slogans you were going to do? Can you remember? I can't remember now. But I mean, most of my t-shirts would have worked on a on a condom. To be fair, they were filthy. They could have had um, 
Let's flick your bean. <laughs> give us a tickle. Uh, Who was give us a tickle? Richard Nickel. Oh, will you just tell me the story for anyone who doesn't know, like about the t-shirts and how it started? Sure. So I was working as a fashion editor at Teen Magazine. So I started at Smash Hits Magazine, yeah. and then I moved on to a magazine called Bliss. And I was in the fashion cupboard at Bliss Magazine, and next door was Pop at the time, a really high fashion magazine run by Katie Grant, who then later went on to Love and now has Perfect. And I was just going out to this nightclub called Boombox every Sunday, and I was surrounding myself on the dance floors with the kind of the fashion scene that I wanted to be a part of, as opposed to the fashion scene that I was a part of, which was writing up credits for things like MK1 and New Look and Jane Norman, (laughs) because I was talking very much to a teen audience. And so I made four T-shirts, which were Get You Free Con Giles Deacon, You Who Gareth Pugh, Do Me Daily Christopher Bailey, and Cause Me Pain Hedy Slimane. And they were kind of my, they were sort of the hottest names of the time. And I made them simply for me and some friends to wear to to Boombox and sort of gave a few out. Gave one to Gareth Pugh, who was a friend of mine. And he wore the Giles Deacon one for his fashion show one day, simply because he'd been working all night and hadn't been home to get changed. So he... So at the end of a fashion show, a designer comes out and does a really awkward, uncomfortable wave, yeah. uh, or suppose, supposedly a bow. And also, um, and often, Gareth... often as a viewer, you're like, oh, they didn't look very fashionable. Like, they often are just in any old thing. So yeah. for them to wear your T-shirt was kind of cool as well, right? Yeah. Uh, well, when you've been making clothes solidly for the last three months, and then you're finally at the end of kind of showing them to the world, you can't be couldn't give a shit what you're wearing you're yeah. just like oh yeah i don't want to think about clothes other than these other ones so yeah gareth came out wearing uh get your free con giles deacon and then the following day giles deacon came out where in for his bow wearing you who gareth pew and the day after that i was back at my desk um at bliss magazine and i got a phone call to say hi henry it's sarah Mo from american vogue can i talk to you about your t-shirts and then I think within a week, I was stuck in Dover Street Market. And then within about a month, we were in the windows of Barney's in New York. And it kind of just exploded wow. really, really quickly. I wonder if you would have issues nowadays around those kind of slogans and consent in a way that we just, we were unshackled yeah. by back then. Yeah, I think they, like there was, we talked about happy accidents and there was definitely a timing thing that made those work. Yes. You know, it was like, it was before social media. It was when everybody thought the fashion industry took themselves too seriously and mm. they didn't have a sense of humor. It was before, you know, you'd ever heard Donatella Versace speak or do the Ice Bucket Challenge, for example. Did she do it? So, yeah, she got two men in Speedos to pour water on her. Of course. She did it in the most Versace way possible. I'm sorry, my mind's blown. So did it go over her face? I think so. Do you think they lowered her into a bucket? (laughs) No, 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 she was... she was sat in a palazzo garden Love surrounded it. by two topless male models and one of whom, and she said, because you had to say your three nominations, right? And yes. then the bucket. And, uh, and yeah, and she did it. 
Oh, I remember. Sorry. But yeah, when we when you look back at those t-shirts now, I think with hindsight, you can say lots of complimentary things about, you know, they were like the band t-shirts or the football shirt of the fashion industry. Yes. You know, you were you were able to wear something with Christopher Kane's name on it that cost 50 pounds. Yes. And everything he made cost, you know, five figures. So... And it was also, I was kind of talking about my peers as well, because they were always, if you look back, every single slogan was, they were always complimentary, Mm. sexual and complimentary. They were always, they were called fashion groupie t-shirts. You know, I was a fashion groupie who was obsessed with all these designers. And Mm. so it was always about my admiration for them. That was what was so lovely about them. They were pure joy, weren't they? And came from the right place. Uh, and like you mm. say, like football t-shirts, that was, I, I remember you saying that before and thinking that's such a brilliant description of what they represented. But I'm right in saying that none of that was in your head when you did it, right? You were just writing your friend's God, name. No. Yeah. And like, I was just going out to nightclubs five nights a week and needed something to wear. <laughs> I remember one one fashion week, I would, cha- I would go to everyone's shows and parties and change my t-shirt in a taxi to like a different name and be like, I'm at your party now. <laughs> Here you go. I love that. But there was no kind of deep thought process behind it at the time other than just a kind of a natural instinct that I, I wanted to show my fandom and my respect for other designers. Mm. And I didn't have £5,000 to buy their clothes. Yeah. Um, and I wanted to be a part of their gang. And how the fuck did you get those t-shirts made? I, I bought them from American Apparel and I had them printed in Kentish Town. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's it's quite a common thing that people would buy what they, in the industry, people would buy what they call blanks. Yeah. So Amer- American Apparel had a wholesale business. So you would buy them wholesale. Oh. Then you would send them to a screen printers who would pull out the American Apparel label and stitch in your... Mm brand label and print the front and send them off. My labels were name tags that you oh, get for kids. I love that. But but I did them as jazzy as I possibly could. So it was a gold Lorex stitch that just said House of Holland huh. in like classic name tape uh, font on a black ribbon. That's that really was our sweet. first labels for a long time. And you called it House of Holland. You didn't call it Henry Holland. And yes. why was that important to you? Also, because you have <laughs> you have the best name, yeah, branded itself. So there was there was a couple of reasons. One of the reasons that I didn't call it Henry Holland at the time is because I I felt like an imposter. Yeah, I didn't feel that I was qualified to call myself a designer. Mm. I never felt comfortable for the first sort of five years calling myself a designer. So putting my full name on it felt like a stretch. Mm. And also I was kind of thinking, I was I was always thinking, even from day one, that I was starting like a brand. I wasn't, yeah. you know, this wasn't me as a designer. This is me starting a brand, a brand of t-shirts. And then the real story is I was thinking of something to call it. At the same time, I received a press release about Beyonce's House of Derion, which she oh. named after, which she named after her grandmother. And... As a, well, we were just joking around and I was like, lol, I should call mine House of Holland. And it stuck. Interesting. So yeah. what happened to House of Derry? She launched it in the Selfridges car park. I remember that much. It's un- 
underneath it. So there's attached to Selfridges, there's a multi-story car park, which they used to do. They still do events in. I launched my menswear in there with Martin Parr. Oh, do you know what? That's one of my favorite things you ever did was that lookbook with Martin Parr. Me too. It's, you know, for anyone who hasn't seen it, just Google it because they are the most beautiful pictures and you shot them at home, right? I took Martin Parr to Ramsbottom. Yeah. That's amazing. Which, so my mom uh, founded a charity for people with aphasia called Speakeasy and they have a coffee morning once a month uh-huh. at the cricket club. So we went down there and we photographed all of the, the patients that they were working with and all of the people that use the service. Wow. And we went around the charity shops. We went to the chippy and had lunch and he was taking pictures of the lunch. It was amazing. Yeah, it was a real bucket list moment though. Oh, that's really lovely. Because for anyone mm. who doesn't know, like Google Martin Parr, like he takes photos of Britain, really, and just it yeah. sums up Britain. And it's all, it's kind of colourfulness. It's sort of bleakness sometimes. But they're always very... And it's characters. Characters, yeah. It's his characters, the way he captures the British sensibility and character of people, because it is these snapshots and moments of real life. Mm. There's nothing, you know, there's no setup. There's no kind of, he doesn't sort of comb, you know, he doesn't set images up per se. He, he much prefers documenting. You know, he really likes Northern sensibilities and that kind of more rural, you know, sort of small town aesthetic. And so yeah. we taking him there and us being surrounded by su- like such a wealth of natural British culture really helped and then we would plunk the model in these situations so the model was sort of an element of a wider image uh, that's the end of part one with henry switch over to part two for more small details are big surfaces tight corners are odd shapes flat rounded textured or tall Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. Powered by Spirit Studios.